I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 124 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. Okay, dads, I have a very exciting week coming at you. We're starting the week off strong with my guest today. He is a two-time Emmy winner and has a very inspirational story. Mario Armstrong will be here with me in just a minute, so please stick around for the interview. Tomorrow on the podcast, celebrity concierge Steve Sims will be dropping by. Wednesday, the founder of Combat Flags, Dan Berai, will be here. Thursday, police officer and podcasting host Patrick Fitzgibbons stops by. And on Friday, folks, I will have the honor of speaking with the Navy SEAL, who was the lone survivor of Operation Red Wings. Marcus Luttrell will be here along with his beautiful wife, Melanie. So lock it into First Class Fatherhood. I've got some amazing dads joining me this week. Some awesome content to be pushing out at you. Uh, please don't keep it a secret. Sharing is caring. Let every father in your neighborhood or on your contact list know about First Class Fatherhood here. We are growing at a rapid pace, and it is beautiful to see. Today we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I would like to encourage you guys to download my interview with First Class Father Lieutenant Colonel Allen West back on Episode 121. He comes from the same neighborhood as Martin Luther King Jr., and he speaks about the major problem facing the black community today uh, is the fatherless household. He talks about how the two-parent household when he was a child was 74% compared to today where the two-parent household in the black community is at 25%. Uh, And this is definitely not just a problem for the black community. I think if we look at the statistics of fatherless households in general across the country, uh, it's very staggering. 63% of youth suicides are coming from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts. 70% of youths in state operations institutions, 85% of youths in prisons. They're all coming from fatherless households. And guys, 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father in the household. So uh, I'm pulling all these stats from the United States Department of Health and Human Services. They're very easy to find if you Google them. I mean, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. I honestly believe that what Martin Luther King Jr. said directly applies to fatherhood in the sense that our kids will not judge us based on the color of our skin, but the content of our character. Uh, they are going to follow our actions. The, the way we treat women is the way that they're going to treat women. The way we respond to difficult situations is how they will respond to them. Uh, and just in general, the way we treat other people is going to rub off on them, and that's how they're going to kind of treat other people as well. Fatherhood in general, it's a raceless position. As a dad, we all understand what it's like to love our children and want to protect and provide for our kids. We're all after the same things in life here. We're all after love, joy, happiness, success, and we're all plagued by the same struggles of fear, want, anger, sadness, jealousy, pain. Uh, But we have so much more in common than we know. And I really hope that, um, you know, everyone enjoys their day off if you're lucky enough to get one. Uh, But let's never forget what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for. And let's try to have a better understanding of one another. And if we're looking to celebrate fatherhood, you came to the right place because that's what we're doing here. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. So let me smack you guys with a quick little spot and I'll be right back on the other side with Mario Armstrong. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. (laughs) 
I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Today's interview is being brought to you by NFW Watches. Please go over to nfwonline.com and use my promo code FATHER at the checkout. You're going to save 15% off your entire order. You're going to get free shipping inside the United States. And $50 of every order is going to go directly towards Honor Flight, which is helping our World War II veterans. Get over to nfwonline.com. Use the promo code FATHER. All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a two-time Emmy-winning talk show host and digital lifestyle expert. You may have seen him on Inside Edition, NBC's Today Show, CNN, or many other places. He is a motivational speaker, public servant, and social entrepreneur. It is a big privilege for me to say Mario Armstrong. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Alec, thank you so much for having me on, man. I'm really pumped about being on with you. Awesome. Let's start here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Uh, for me, I have one child. His name is Christopher and he is uh, 16, just turned 16 not too long ago. Um, moves really, really fast. I mean, those years go by, as you know. Um, we could, we tried to have more children, but we were unfortunately not able to be able to do that. So we put everything into this one. So that's where we are right now. But I do raise basically a bunch of cousins and some nieces and nephews that keep us busy because we have a big family. Very cool. What type of um, sports or activities is Christopher into? Um, he's big into music. At first it was basketball, and he was huge into that, not only playing the sport, but really studying it. Like at an early age, he wanted to know everything about, like, all the old greats and everybody that every, you know, um, from from West to, to Oscar Robinson, just like old players, and he was just really getting into the history. And at one point he thought he would even be a manager – but then he started to shift. He was playing the piano, and we could see that that was starting to really take over. And so now, fast forward a few years, it's the piano, saxophone, trumpet. I mean, I'm literally in our music room right now looking at all this stuff. He's got a tenor sax, an alto sax, a guitar, a trumpet, and two keyboards. Um, so music is this kid's life uh, from everything from jazz to uh, current day music and producing it, writing it listening for it, and ultimately he wants to score movies. Wow, yeah, that's very impressive, Mario. Uh, does he get that from you? Uh, do you play instruments as well? So this is funny. Our family is, is a family of musicians, but not myself or my brother. It kind of skipped over the two of us. We were both DJs, though. I taught my younger brother how to DJ. So music's always been in my family. My father was a promoter um, and had a music label back in the early 70s and thought that he was going to create like the Motown of Baltimore. And they got far. They got to travel to places like Hong Kong and Switzerland and his two groups really did well, but never really broke in the U.S. the way you would expect. But my grandmother, which is my son's great-grandmother, she ended up um, being a music teacher in the school system in Baltimore City. And she taught students and had this dream of creating a school that would celebrate kids um, from Baltimore City that really wanted to pursue the arts. And there was no school for that. And so she ended up creating what is now really famously known as the Baltimore School of the Arts. This is where several actors, actresses, singers, um, ballet performers, people that are in orchestras, that lead orchestras, that are in symphonies, um, that are from Baltimore. I mean, people like fashion designers like Christian Suriano uh, came out of there. Jada Pinkett Smith came out of there. 
Um, so lots of great things have come from that. So I think for whatever reason, that skipped myself. I don't know why my grandmother didn't take the time to teach me piano, but she didn't. But it skipped me, and then it ended up hitting my son. And the minute he was born, she, I remember her clearly looking at his hands and saying, you have piano fingers. I was like, oh, really, Grandma? He's the one with piano fingers? Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. What, what a legacy. Uh, please, Mario, take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Um, quick little hit about that is, uh, the name's Mario Armstrong. I'm a two-time Emmy winner. Um, I was the guy that went broke with his wife pursuing his dream, their shared dream, but we both, um, I got laid off uh, pursuing my dream. And at the time, my wife was working full-time, and so she was holding down the income for the family. We were raising our son, Christopher, um, making sure that he was not affected by what was impacting me. I had some money in savings, so I figured this was a great time for me to go after the dream. He started pursuing it, got really, really far with it, and had an opportunity to have a $285,000 deal back in 2007, uh, right before 2008, with AOL. And that was going to be the deal that was going to set our business up. And the business was all about how can we create a platform of positivity with interviews, advice, actionable steps, and real-world proof on how you can actually maximize your human potential or take your, your goals and your lives to the next level. And what happened was that we all know 2008 hit, and um, when the president had announced that we were in this recession, um, everything dried up. And right before that happened, a new CEO came on board at AOL and shut down all contracts that weren't fully signed. We had executed on our end, but we were driving, literally driving to a signing party in Dulles, Virginia at AOL and was told we may as well pull over and turn around um, because it's not happening. And it was one of those moments that defined us. So at that moment, we had to define ourselves as are we entrepreneurs or not. I had already at this point asked her to leave her job and come and run this business because she was the COO for two other companies. So you fast forward, going broke, running out of money, running out of 401k, credit card debt, um, almost getting to the point where we're risking the house and me sitting in Starbucks parking lots just crying because I feel like I put my family into this really rough position and almost shaking, you know, shift the marriage to the core as well. Um, so it's a really kind of a testament to when you and your partner, in this case, my wife, both of our incomes are tied into raising this family, which at the time, you know, it's just Christopher at five or so and having our own dream as well as trying to help him pursue his dreams. And it really challenged us, but we were able to fight through it. We were able to get on the same page. We were able to, um, be there for each other when one was down, the other is up. And so today I'm known for the guy that's on the Today Show, that's on CNN and um, other networks, Steve Harvey and Rachel Ray and all these shows where I talk about technology to improve your life, but also inspiration and motivation that's practical that you can use. And so our biggest piece of all of this was that we wanted to create a talk show that would help our generation be able to manifest their best life outcomes, and all the networks told us no. And so the most recent project that we have now is the Never Settle Show, where I took it all around, took a pilot all around to the networks. They told us no tons of times, and we independently figured out how to do this. So we went back into debt, back into credit cards to fund this idea and this dream. And in the first season, we end up winning an Emmy for it. So it was nice, sweet validation to keep going. 
Yeah, what an inspirational story, Mario. It's it's definitely a testament to persistency and faith really paying off. Uh, it's incredible to hear you tell it. Uh, when did fatherhood come into this picture, and how did becoming a dad uh, kind of change your perspective on life? Oh, man, Alex, this is a great question, dude, because, you know, I, I'm that driven guy. I'm the A-type personality. I competed in grade school and middle school and high school. Like, I love sports. I play everything I could possibly play, and I was a small guy. So I love to be considered the underdog. I love to be undervalued, and I love because then I could just change change the game. People would have low expectations, and I would just blow them away, and I just love to be able to do that um, athletically. And so I was really highly competitive. So when we started talking and having, you know, this, we were married and discussing when do we want to have kids, and, and I was like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Like, no, we have to, we got to get further. We're, we're in a town home. We're not where we need to be. We got to get further. Everything was, we got to get further. And we had this argument. And I remember my wife saying, when is it ever going to be ready? And this, just look on, his, on her face of just confusion and disappointment and just not really anger, but just more like, just kind of a little tinge of upset. Like, I don't get it. What are, what are you talking? And I had, it finally hit me. I said, there's never going to be a right time. So how are you going to, you know, you want to have kids. This isn't a thing about me not wanting them. I wanted to have two, same way I was brought up with a sibling and uh, same way she was brought up with one sibling. And I said, at that moment, I'm going to be a dad. And at that moment you start changing how you think, how you act and what you do and I realized that when I became a father, I was like, okay, nothing else in life matters. All that crap you were talking about doesn't matter. You are now responsible for a life. You have got to be the best role model possible. You have got to be the best provider possible uh, that you can be. And then I started slowly understanding, wait, as parents, we often have to kick in. We have to, to raise our kids. But at the same time, what I see a lot of parents do is all of a sudden they give up on themselves. They start to pull back so much from them because now they're pouring everything into their child. And you should pour everything into your child. But there are moments, after a few years of raising your kid, there are moments when you can start pouring back into you. And it wasn't until I found this sweet balance of how do I really be 100% great dad, but how do I also not give up on our dreams to create a life that can impact our entire family. Yeah, well said. That's a great explanation of self-care. And, and one way I compare it to is that whenever you're on an airplane and they start going through the checklist and they say that if an air mask falls from the ceiling, they tell you to put your mask on first and then put your child's mask on. And I think that's important because uh, just being a parent, our instinct is to put our child's mask on first. And that's incorrect. This, you know, Self-care is important and it's it goes along with what you were saying there. And you have to take care of yourself before you're going to be in a position to take care of your child. It's a really great point that you bring that up because in, innately nature does kick in and you want to take and protect and cherish and secure uh, everything for your child. But if you can't operate at your optimum, the care you're going to give is going to be less than optimum. And the self-awareness that we have to come to about that because especially, you know, I see this, I know I see this a lot in my wife, but I also see this a lot in other women. They, women that I have seen raising kids but also being entrepreneurs just have the ability that I, I can't understand how my wife is able to manage 
all that she's able to manage. I'm constantly trying to pull things off of her plate because she just runs circles around me in terms of her skill set, in terms of her entrepreneurial prowess, in terms of her ability to uh, um, be um, understanding and caring for Christopher. And I just learned so much, and I think she's made me a better father by learning from how she's able to really understand priorities, self-care, self-awareness, but then be completely present in multiple spaces. And when I see her get exhausted or at those moments, I'm always like trying to pull from her because it's like just because you can doesn't mean you should. We have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, that we are rejuvenating. And man, this household really, <laughs> really enjoys like having, you know, a great, a great balanced life when you are at your optimum. So it's also a little bit of self-preservation, I guess, maybe <laughs> that I'm like that. But honestly, you hit a really solid point about how we as dads, need to pay attention to all of the partners in our family, all of the support system in our family, and making sure that we're contributing as much, if not greater, than others, and how we're able to communicate when we're feeling overwhelmed and that the other one can help to take over or a relative can really pitch in because that ability to replenish makes us better, which makes our kids better. Yeah, great points, Mario. And I think that's really um, why it's so important to have a two-parent household. It really takes a village to raise a child. And I'm, I don't think it necessarily matters who plays which role, but children definitely need uh, somebody to nourish and love and then someone to protect and fight. Um, and there seems to be an attack in this country. I talk about it all the time on the podcast. It seems like the family life, fatherhood, just the way it's being portrayed in pop culture on movies and TVs, it doesn't line up with the way most of the dads that I know actually are. And it's really influencing a number of people, especially young men, uh, to be in a position where they really want to avoid fatherhood and, and, and never not embrace it at all. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. I, I think, you know, the problem is we haven't done a really great job I think we, I'm just talking about the media, and this podcast is obviously one of the pieces of that solution set, the process. We don't really communicate. We we just talk about, like, we became a dad and life changed, and then you got to do this stuff. And we don't really discuss the the process and the stuff in between the before I was a dad and then after I was a dad. It really just jumps from one to the other. And I think a lot of what really is special gets missed right there. The other thing that I think, that a lot of young people also can re be responding to is they constantly are getting bombarded with images of parents that are now not about their dream. They decided to check off, check out on that and now put everything possible into funding or assisting or supporting their kids' dreams. And I think when you see an overwhelming uh, picture that kind of shows that trajectory um, that parents, you know, at a certain age, you get kids, you better hurry up and get what you want to accomplish in life because you're not going to be able to do it once you have kids because everything shifts. When you kind of get fed that over and over, it's easy for you to start believing that that's the case. So I think having podcasts like yours, um, seeing other people that are more accessible on Instagram, you know, I look at people like, um, like The Rock. The Rock has really been awesome about showing his family and being revealing about his family, but also his upbringing, but also still maintaining the fact that he wants to pursue and he's driven and he wants to get these goals, but that doesn't mean he's going to be less of a dad because of that. And so it's those smaller examples, unfortunately, that when we do see those, I think they help 
especially for kids that are impressionable at early ages to kind of see those types of uh, things transpire. All right, it is now time for a word from today's sponsors, and I'll be right back with more of the action on First Class Fatherhood. All right, I'm curious to hear you speak on this because uh, definitely one of the biggest challenges for fathers, myself included, is video games. Um, Today, they are super addictive. My kids are crazy with the Fortnite. How do you handle video game technology and social media with your son? Um, I go straight to, you know, we're very diligent about um, the amount of media time that's being spent on things that could not, they are fine in small doses as entertainment, but as a full-on diet, it's like eating fast food and you're not getting any greens, you're not getting any vegetables, you're not getting any balance. So for us, we have really focused, I would say, on two things. One, actively being involved when we can't, on games and things that make sense, like two-player games, things that we can jump in on. Um, we'll have discussions. What would make that game better? What would you have done differently? How would you change the characters? What about the plot? What about the soundtrack? Like, we get into it, so it seems more like a discussion about this game. So when a new game shows up, hey, Dad, let me show you this thing about this game. But would it have been better if they did da-da-da-da? So it's a, it's a still an intellectually stimulating conversation, even though you could be just looking at it as a passive experience and they're not getting any educational value from it. Now, if you flip over to social, I, I hit my kid hard with social about Social is your online resume. Social is your ability to demonstrate, activate, and really showcase who you are, what you're about, and where you're trying to go. But when it comes to your channel, and when it comes to your output, and when it comes to what you're producing and publishing, the Internet, number one, is permanent. I don't care what these 24-hour passive apps talk about. Everything can be screenshotted. Everything can be captured on video. It's permanent. And number two, use it to your advantage. This is the biggest thing that I don't understand parents that just say, shut down your phone, get off of them. There's like such regimen about like the phone is the bad thing in the room. It's like, no, teach the kids how to use the phone to their advantage. So if you go to my kid's Instagram page, you'll see stuff with his bands. You'll see stuff work that he's, um, music that he's performing. You'll see um, an event that he just did for, for doctors where he was playing. You'll see different things that are related to his passion, and he's starting to get followers, but also communications with other people that he admires in the business. And he's like, can you believe so-and-so follow me? And we just DM'd about a conversation and da-da-da. So it was great for him to get the validity that this can work when you actually put out there what you really want to use social for. Uh, I just think we've had better luck with that in our household. And that's what I try to teach other parents to try to figure out, well, what's your kid's passion? Have you, have you identified a purpose or a passion for them? Let them post about that. Let them tweet about that. Try to give them the tools to make that their social activity. Sure, they're still going to do the things that kids are going to do, but wouldn't it be better if 80% of the time they're showcasing on social the stuff that you really think can better them than the other way around? 
Very well said, Mario. I agree. And, and the cell phone or the smartphone, it can really be a gold mine or it can destroy your life. And, and to your point about getting in touch with people, I've had the ability to speak with some incredible people like Deion Sanders, Kurt Warner, uh, Navy SEALs, all through my smartphone here. I do the entire podcast. The only thing I've ever used is my smartphone. So I was never into social media until 10 months ago when I began this podcast. I had no clue what a podcast even was at the time. My older sons, they wanted to become you know, YouTubers. I I was telling them it takes a lot more than just turning on the phone and fooling around. So while I was helping them out, I discovered what podcasting was, that it was audio only. So I kind of sidestepped over to this platform here. And since then, you know, it's hit number one on iTunes a few times in the kids and family category. I've had so many amazing guests on and my kids see me working hard on it. So if nothing else comes from it, at least I got a little bit of street credit with them. And I can say, hey, guys, uh, who's been talking to NFL Hall of Famers over here? That's right. Hey, when's the last time you talked to Kurt Warner? I don't know. When's the last time you talked to Deion Sanders? Like, <laughs> Dad's doing something right. <laughs> yeah, and it goes back to what you said earlier. I mean, listen, there's a, there's a lot of great influencers on social media that can make a big impact on your life. But there is so much poison uh, out there in social media land that can really ruin a young mindset. So it's, it's very dangerous. It is. And that's where the balance really comes in. Because at the end of the day, our kids aren't developed fully yet. So we know mentally um, where the potential lies. We know also where the dangers can be. And the dangers can be overwhelmingly scary considering what you think the positives can be. So a lot of people, they go to, you know, fight or flight. And most parents want to just run from it. they rather just tuck it away, put it away. I don't want to talk about it until you're 21 or whatever the age may be that makes you feel comfortable that they can manage on their own. But really what we want to be creating are really responsible digital citizens. So what we want to be able to do is actually teach our kids now. See the difference between this post and this post? See, listen, read the caption. What are they really saying? Is this an egotistical post, a post about what they've accomplished in their life and how braggadocious they are and sensationalism and negativity? Or is this something that you can actually get value from? I mean, when you really boil down the basics of how I try to advise some people, it's a very simple equation. But we're complex people, so I get that it's very challenging. But the simple equation is, does this thing help me or does this thing hurt me? And so you can apply this to relationships. You can apply this to your current job. You can apply this to a new idea that you have, or you can apply this to a question that your friend is asking you or a participant. Does, Does this bring value to me or does this bring potential hurt to me? And so when you really simplify it, you're like, look, smartphones got both. Rock and roll had both. Rap music had both. Like, all of this stuff has both. Like, there can be some value derived from these things, but there can also be some pain and negativity. So how do we teach our kids to understand? My kid will come to me, he'll show me something, and I'll be like, all right, what sources did you go to? Well, I went to Wikipedia. Okay, and where else? Like, I'm training him to say, hey, don't believe everything that you're seeing. So you have to start creating a filter and start creating these tools that teach kids these strategies and tactics that say, not everything is believable. Here's how I can perform research. And here are the things that I need to be aware of that can really take me down a bad uh, road. And here are the ways that I could use this to help me um, prosper and grow. So it's a very delicate balance. And I get it because our kids just aren't formed at that age. But this is why I also don't like when parents play the role of victim as opposed to the authority. When they say, oh, but all my other kids, 11-year-olds, are on Instagram. 
I don't care. My kid was not allowed to get on that damn thing because Instagram said you shouldn't be on it until 13. And the COPA law, the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, says the same. You shouldn't have your kids on social media until 13. We have so many parents that allow peer pressure from their kids on, on giving them phones at the age of nine. Now, look, if you've got to give your kid a phone because you need to get contact with them, uh, basketball games, it's dark at night, I get all of that. I'm talking about putting them on social accounts. And some of these kids are going to do what they're going to do anyway, and I get that, but there's a difference between you enabling it and you giving them a reason why they can't at this time, but then embracing them when it is time. Yeah, Mario, and let's face it, the technology is constantly changing. There's new updates and advances every week, and and most of the time, uh, the children are way out ahead of the parents as far as their comprehension of the new technology. So it's definitely a conversation that we need to have. You articulated some really great points there on the subject. You bring up a great point because it's really about the communication, but it's hard to have. This is one of the things that if I could tell any parent early on, I know some some parents are going to like this advice. It works for me, may not work for you, but I grew up in a household where I we didn't overly communicate. Like my, that generation wasn't about, hey, what's your opinion, little kid? Do you think we should do this or not? Like you didn't really get a say. You were told like what to do, and that's kind of how things went. And what I found with my wife is that she came from a household that was uh, what I would envision as something that was overly communicated. Like, wait, you guys talked way, you guys talked about that stuff. Like that's way too much. Like, and so finding this balance, I think of um, being reserved versus being very open and then bringing our kid to the discussion at early, early ages of he has a valued opinion. He has something he can share. He, he doesn't necessarily get to say, but he gets, to, he gets to make his point or he gets to have a conversation with us. And I think that had made us, uh, in a way, we broke this barrier that I believe so many parents end up having because it's not a dictatorship, but yet you still are the one that can put the foot down and you still are the one that has the overall control uh, until a certain age. But having that communication and that openness and then really, really working on your frustration, like putting all that tenseness when you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe my kid is showing this. I just want to tell him how bad it is. And you just want to go off and really being able to kind of center yourself and just let your kid talk, breathe it out, let it, they're coming to you. This is a good thing. And then you kind of like guide them along their way. It's very challenging and it's a tight rope uh, to, to really dance on. But I do believe that the more you communicate, the more you're open. And stop trying to fight technology with tools because the technology keeps changing and you won't be able to keep up with it. So I would suggest two quick strategies. Number one would be uh, that open communication. Um, But number two would be talk to the teachers. If you are out of the loop on technology, talk to the teachers. Teachers know a lot of what kids are up to because they're in that environment all the time. So they'll tell you about the apps that you don't know about that are sitting on that kid's phone that they may or may not be using. So I think those are two really great strategies to kind of keep you in the know. But the third and the ultimate thing is you want to create digital citizens. So you can't fight tech with tech. You have to really train them and teach them how to cope with the technology that they have available to them because it's only going to grow.
Awesome. Yeah, I agree. And the way I grew up, not only was there not much communication, but the philosophy that my parents had was uh, what goes on in this house stays in this house. I mean, you would think we were living in Las Vegas or something, but uh, things are far different now. Uh, And I could never have imagined, you know, hey, listen, I never could imagine my father apologizing to me for everything. Yet I find myself saying I'm sorry to my kids, especially if, um, you know, I punish the wrong kid for the wrong thing. I, you know, I usually own it and then apologize for it. Yes, and that makes you more that makes you more accessible. Like this whole idea that we as dads have to be right all the time or you know, we jeopardize who's really in control and who's not and, and man up and all this other stuff like when you show the humanness in you and when you're still an authority figure in your household, man does that really build up to me. It really increases the bond, it increases the trust, it increases the respect. Plus, you teach them the stuff they need to know. You're not always going to be right. So, yep, you know what, Michael, Christopher, whoever, you're right. You know what? Dad was wrong. Dad was completely in the wrong. I shouldn't have jumped to that conclusion. I did this, I did that, and I did this, and here's where I went wrong in my path. Now, I, I apologize for that. I'm super sorry. Hopefully, you can learn from what I just did that was wrong. That is big. It is a learning process. I mean, listen, I'm on a mission to become a better dad today than I was yesterday. I've learned a lot from all the great dads that I've had on the podcast, yourself included. Um, So it's really been a wonderful experience for me. All right. And you spoke a little earlier about the Never Settle Show. So what could you tell my listeners about your podcast, Wake Up and Level Up, and where they can find it? Oh, I love that. Uh, Yeah, because we're both podcast buddies. So um, our podcast is doing pretty well. We're doing well in the self-help category. We finally hit the top 200, which is awesome. Um, And it's a short five-minute or less daily episode um, that's really meant to start your day. So the way we envision this is that you listen to this as you're getting your cup of coffee or going to the gym or hopping into the shower or getting dressed or getting the kids ready for school. It's four minutes, really five minutes or four minutes or less. And it's quick, it's motivational, it's inspirational, and it pulls on all of my experiences and people I have access to. So being through the years of doing stuff on the Today Show and and um, being in the media and having partners like Al Roker and, and Damon John and others have really given me access to not only glean insights from people that do awesome things, but also get their voices on. But it's really formulated around formulas, tactics, and advice that can help you get the most out of your life in a really short, doable way. So every time I go on, I give you either a short story or a short formula, but it's something practical that you can actually begin to implement so that you can accomplish the goals or get that relationship or move past fear or build that dream, whatever it may be along those lines of pursuing your life and your passion. We got you covered in this like five minute or less daily podcast. Awesome. I will include a link to your podcast and the Never Settle Show in the description of this podcast episode so my listeners can just tap it, get on over there and check it out. Last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Mario, I love to ask all the dads I get on the podcast, what type of advice could you give to that new father or to that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? Uh, You know you've hit the roughest part when it's the easiest time to quit. (laughs) (laughs) like like that part when you were like oh i just can't take this anymore i'm not getting any sleep it's just it's too much i'm like buried under this thing and it's affecting you know you've hit the roughest part when you feel like and obviously you won't quit on your kid but when you feel like you want to just you know give up or just give in um and i would just say that look 
you know, fatherhood is a blessing. It is a complete miracle. If you don't understand that, you've got to go and look at the statistics of what childbirth stats really are. The idea that you can actually have, we take it for granted. We think we can just have a ton of kids, and we've been around family members, and they're like, wow, they just keep popping up with kids. Every single time, it's a miracle. So trust that, number one. Number two, always do your best to be better than you were uh, today than you are tomorrow, like you said earlier. Always be learning, how can I be a better dad to my kid? What are the things? Let's get honest with the crap that you were brought up with that's turning you into this person, and you need to still deal with you. When we can deal with ourselves authentically and purely in the mirror and say, here are my weaknesses. Let me make sure they don't become Christopher's. Let me make sure I deal with myself so that I'm giving Christopher the better life than what I had. And not that all of us had, you know, bad lives. It's just that our role is to make it better tomorrow than it was today. And we want to pass that on to our kids as well. So I would say, number one, you know, be up front with yourself about what your fears are and what you need to work on. Go get some advice. Go seek some help. Go do some reading. Listen to some podcasts. Like, get the information that you need to make you a better person, and that's going to make you a better dad. Well said. That's some great advice. This has been a lot of fun for me. And I just got to say, Mario Armstrong, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks so much for having me on, Alec. It was a true pleasure, man. This podcast really rocks, and it's doing a big service. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll be right back after a quick spot. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Mario Armstrong for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please, guys, hit me up on Twitter. Drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I'm becoming more active on Facebook as it was one of my goals for this year. So you can find me on Facebook, Alec Lace. Let me know what you thought about today's episode over there. Bring it right back here tomorrow, guys. I got First Class Father and Celebrity Concierge Steve Sims. And he's got a very interesting lifestyle, so you don't want to miss it check it out and later this week i am going to have the navy seal who was the lone survivor of operation red wings you may remember the movie lone survivor uh it it starred mark Wahlberg. the whole story is sad it's inspirational it's got a little bit of everything in it but marcus luttrell is a first class father and he's going to be here with his beautiful wife melanie luttrell so uh, locking into first class fatherhood that's all i got for you guys i'm alec lace you have been listening to first class fatherhood and please remember guys we are not babysitters we are fathers and we're not just fathers we are first class fathers your half truths and